This is TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And the State of the Saints podcast is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Over 2 million men worldwide choose Manscaped for all their below-the-waist needs. For those that love the Lawnmower 3.0, well, I got news for you. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all through additional guards lengths, sizes 1 through 4. And looks wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil stamp, black chrome Manscaped logo. Show your moral off loud and proud. Go to manscaped.com, use the promo code STATE OF SAINTS, and you will save 20% off of the lawnmower 4.0, as well as other Manscaped items. That's manscaped.com. Hey, what's going on, Who That Nation? It is yours truly, TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. Thank you so much for checking out the State of the Saints podcast, where we talk New Orleans Saints. And on this edition, we got a very special guest with us on the State of the Saints podcast. Uh, Many of you who follow on Twitter uh, know this individual. Uh, He is the author of the book, Jameis Winston Derangement Syndrome how media bias calls us to overlook the start of a Hall of Fame NFL career. And he has been on several shows. Uh, he's been, uh, he was just on uh, ESPN yesterday with T-Bob Bay Bear uh, talking about Jameis Winston. And he was kind enough uh, to come on the State of the Saints podcast today. I want to introduce you to uh, Jameis 101. Jameis, how, how you doing? Oh, real good, real good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you for being here. And um you know, for some of you, the people that uh, may not follow you, uh, you you remain anonymous. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I value my anonymity. Um, <laughs> I've had you know one of, one of Jameis's agents has, has kind of pushed me to to reveal my uh, real identity, but I told him I said maybe after I get my PhD, um, <laughs> that then when I can actually call myself doctor, then maybe I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we do appreciate you being here on the State of the Saints podcast and. Um, you know, let's just go ahead and uh, break the ice here. What made you, uh, you know, start to follow the career of Jameis Winston? I'm a guy that that loves studying quarterbacks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been studying and researching quarterbacks for decades. And, you know, I like to start as early as possible. Most of the guys you don't really hear about in high school or even if you do, especially, you know, before the age of social media, you just couldn't find much information on them. Um, 
But, you know, Jameis, I just happened to catch his first game that he played against Pitt. And right. I was watching it with my son, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the game he just went off. It was one of the, you know, the greatest first game performances in, in college history. And yeah. my son and I were watching it together. And I just said, you know, this kid looks like something special. I'm going to mm-hmm. follow him and, and, you know, see how his <laughs> career develops. And of course, that very year, you know, he wins the Heisman in the national title, you know, yeah. as a freshman. Um, and so I just I just started following him all along, studying mm-hmm. his career. Um, and I mean, like I've done that with many quarterbacks, but anybody who's done that realizes most of them flame out, you know, yeah. most of the, the young phenoms, you know, even the ones that'll have a good freshman year, whatever they flame out, they don't even make it to the NFL or if they do, they just, you know, they never develop. Right. Um, but Jameis has just been sort of fascinating to watch his career develop mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. I mean, like I've been watching Jameis Winston. I, I was watching him in college and he definitely, uh, was a really good, uh, college player. I mean, of course, I mean, First uh, college football uh, playoff national champion. Uh, he was a Heisman Trophy winner. And uh, he was the first pick overall. And that fast forwards us to the NFL. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the book before we get into his NFL career. Uh, you, 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 you say how media bias caused us to overlook the start of a Hall of Fame career. Uh, how do you feel like the media is using uh, media bias when it comes to Jameis Winston? Yeah, it's it started early with him. I mean, even going back to high school, he, he's dealt with a lot of things that people don't realize, right. um, you know, death threats for choosing Florida State over Alabama, stuff like that. The media right. were, hate, were, were hating on him early as well. Um, and it's really never stopped. My book gives example after example after example, because a lot of people think that I just throw that out there, that yeah. Jameis is the most slighted and slandered quarterback by the media uh, in history. And they think that's, you know, just like some irrelevant opinion. But I give, you know, I back it up with facts throughout the book. Um, You know, the book's a monster. It's over 400 pages long. It's backed Mm -hmm. by over 850 citations. Mm -hmm. It's not a standard sports book. It's not even really necessarily an easy read. You know, it's jam-packed with with data and stuff that you won't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, But so one of the things I do is I just look at a lot of, you know, the, uh, the media headlines and stuff that have followed Jameis even from his time at Florida State, before anything even really had happened to where anybody would have a have a cause to get angry with him. Right. The USA Today ran an article, um, and I talk about the article and how the article would change if it was written now in 2020 with the, the political climate the way it is. Um, right. You know, but they painted him as some sort of criminal, um, and this is with uh, the, the squirrel hunting incident, <laughs> you know, um, which wasn't illegal, wasn't even against, you know, policy or anything like that. There was nothing wrong with it. And Jameis had a gun pulled on him by a cop. Now, imagine if that happens today, that the headlines would be entirely different. You know, it it, it would be something like innocent African-American quarterback has gun pulled on him by police. However, when USA Today wrote the headline back then, 2014, you know, they used it as a tool to just slander Jameis and make him look like some sort of thug. And they actually had to retract that. So Mm -hmm. this goes way back. And it's, it's just it's never stopped. Um, and ESPN, I would say is probably, well, Clay Travis, <laughs> Clay <laughs> Travis hates Jameis and he, he's one of them. I mean, he and I got into it on Twitter. Uh, we had a little statistical debate. I destroyed him and he had a little meltdown fit, blocked me and ran away. Um, <laughs> but so, so he's really bad, but ESPN as well too, as, as an outlet. Um, I think they decided early on that negative Jameis news sells better than positive Jameis news and that Jameis makes a good villain for them. You know, just like in wrestling, you have heels and you have heroes. And I think they just decided Jameis is the heel. We're going to we're going to make a villain out of him. And so every segment basically is negative. 
even even after you know the 2019 season, he started a COVID hotline with a doctor in Tampa to help out the Tampa community. Mm-hmm. And ESPN on the Get Up show ran a segment bashing him. Right. Like, like, I mean, who does that? How, how do you do that? How do you do that to to a young man? How do you do that to anybody? It doesn't make any sense. You know, Jenna Lane is another one where you know she used the birth announcement of Jameis's son to bash him. Wow. Like it, it's it's just never stopped with him. Um, I'm hoping now that he's in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, with with Peyton and the Saints that that things will shift a little bit. And I've seen I've seen a little bit of a shift in the media, but the Saints aren't exactly a beloved franchise either by the NFL. I mean, it, it seems like the NFL has been at war with the Saints. And now, you know, the Saints have a quarterback that the that the media has been at war with for almost a decade. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, when, I, when I look at Jameis Winston, you know, I, I I see a guy with a with a lot of talent. I see a guy with a lot of ability. I don't think you're a first pick overall and not really be good at your position, especially coming out of college. But let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about um, you know, Jameis Winston statistically. I know that you uh you you mentioned a lot of the statistics. Where where is it, you know, can you put up some numbers about Jameis Winston that may uh, shock a lot of people, you know, maybe, you know, saying some numbers that a lot of people aren't paying attention to, to validate the fact that you feel, uh, he's, a you know, uh, all pro, uh, type quarterback. Well, yeah, the, the counting stats are, are very, um, you know, in favor of Jameis, as far as, you know, when I wrote the book and I, and I make that claim that, you know, the media has caused us to overlook the start of a hall of fame NFL career. Right. If all you use is counting stats, the case is extremely easy to make. Jameis is obviously and easily on a statistical Hall of Fame track. You know, heading into his age 26 season, he just turned 27 now in January. He was number one all time, you know, in passing yards and number two all time only behind Marino in passing touchdowns. Hmm. So he has this massive statistical sort of advantage on quarterbacks of his age, uh, in large part because he was so good so young. You know, he was the number one overall pick. He was handed a, the worst team in the NFL, but he was handed them and told to be the savior from day one as a 21-year-old. You know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, he sat on the bench for years. Uh, Drew Brees, you know, sat, then basically was benched for a year for Doug Flutie, et cetera. Right, right. So there's not too many quarterbacks that can match up to Jameis with the with the counting stats. And those are pretty easily accessible to anybody who goes to Pro Football Reference or ESPN, et cetera. Um, but in my book, I like to break things down on an era-adjusted basis, which basically nobody does because one, it's a little bit difficult too. It, it, it sort of goes over people's heads sometimes, but it really helps you kind of put Jameis in perspective. And so I do that by comparing him with every Super Bowl era Hall of Fame quarterback in existence, right? And so I just compare him on all these different statistical levels, adjusting for era. And so it just shows kind of like where he ranks. And people that accuse me of bias or something, it's silly because had I wanted to only be pro Jameis or just paint this, this flowery image of Jameis, I would have just used counting stats because he looks amazing when you just use counting stats, but I use error adjusted stats, which actually make him look far worse than what the counting stats do. And yet it shows right where he slots in and all these different statistics compared with these other hall of fame quarterbacks, you know, and sometimes he'll rank say 18th other times, you know, second or third, sometimes 10th. Um, But it's just a very, you know, logical, unbiased, you know, data-driven approach to, to showing where Jameis stacks up. And he stacks up very well, you know, even even turnovers. People have this opinion that, or the, this belief that all the Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you know, stepped into the NFL as Hall of Fame quarterbacks. You know, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. Drew Brees was garbage 
early in his career. I mean, absolute trash. He had more career interceptions than touchdowns through his first couple of seasons. James has never even had one single season like that. Um, and then Drew was, you know, benched. He had a he had a span where out of 20 starts, he won four games. Drew Brees was four and 16. He was benched for Doug Flutie. He was like 41 years old, a little, you know, and also extremely little short guy. And and um, and the San Diego Chargers media were running articles saying Drew Brees, the so-called quarterback of the future and ripping him. Um, you know, Brett Favre sat for a year, you know, and was traded, of course, by his first team. Kurt Warner was benched by three teams. People just, they have this, they want to give up on quarterbacks quick or they want to elevate them and, and exalt them quick. And they have to realize every quarterback, even the ones that are in the Hall of Fame, they all sort of had an up and down path, you know, other than say Brady, who just landed in a great situation and was able to game manage himself to, to Super Bowls and then turn into what he is now. Most quarterbacks, they have a really rocky road, you know, a really rocky road. And, and Jameis is no different. He's had ups and downs and he'll always be associated with the 30. You know, uh, the 30-30, which, you know, in and of itself is sort of incorrect because it's 33 and 30. It's not 30-30. Um, and, and my reply to that a lot of times is when people bring up 30, as if it's it's the only thing you need to say to to prove Jameis isn't a good quarterback. My, my response a lot of times is, would you have preferred that he thrown one less interception but 13 less touchdowns? Because that's what Brett Favre did. Brett Favre had a 20-touchdown, 29-interception season, and nobody kills him for it. Jameis had 30 picks with 33 touchdowns, and people act like he should be in the CFL. (laughs) It's unbelievable, you know. And, you know, I've always, you know, thought that Jameis, you know, was a good quarterback. You know, even like him coming to, uh, you know, the New Orleans Saints. And I, I will say this, you know, as a Saints fan, of course, I wasn't hoping that he becomes successful in Tampa. I mean, the Tampa <laughs> arrival of the Saints. So, you know, when he was struggling a little bit, I mean, I looked at it as being beneficial to the New Orleans Saints, especially that franchise. But let me ask you this question. What happened in Tampa? What What was the main reason why, in your opinion, it just didn't pan out in Tampa for Jameis Winston? Well, I mean, Brady Brady actually is the reason. So Jason Light and the Bucks, they had a – long-term <laughs> big contract ready for Jameis to sign if Brady said no you know it just so happened that the guy that everybody considers the goat wanted to be a buck and, and that was all she wrote so um I really you know people say well had Jameis not thrown the 30 picks or whatever he'd still be a buck no he wouldn't Tom Brady not only you know represented this this massive jump in sort of prestige for the organization but he's an absolute cash cow he puts fans in the seats he sells jerseys I mean he financially turned the Bucks around. So even had Jameis gone out there and had a great year, when Tom Brady said he wanted to be, to be a Buck and he had that connection with Jason Light going all the way back to their days in New England together, that was all she wrote. The Bucks mm-hmm. wanted Brady because Brady brings cachet. So I, I really don't think that that Jameis could have played him played himself uh, above Brady, anyways. So. Yeah. Well, uh, for all those that are tuning in, that's live, that's in the chat, uh, Jameis 101 is nice enough to, uh, you know, answer some of your questions. So if you have a question for Jameis 101, feel free to put it down in the comments. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, but uh, let, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Jameis Winston uh, as a New Orleans Saint. Uh, do you think that he can end up being that quarterback that you anticipate him being uh, in a New Orleans Saints uniform? 
Yeah, I'm really excited to see what he'll do with Peyton because uh, the one thing with Jameis is that he's so talented that every court, uh, every coach he's ever had has just looked at him like that and sort of trusted him too much and put too much on his shoulders, um, which is never a good situation for a quarterback. It's, it's what they did, you know, Peyton Manning his first year. Um, and then, you know, Edger and James got there and they had a dominant running game and all of a sudden Manning took off. So, you know, Jameis, you're talking about from 2016 to 2019, where he was basically just asked to gunsling and win shootouts. They had no run game. I mean, I, I post a, a, a tweet a lot of times with an infographic that just shows how terrible the Buccaneers team was, you know, for Jameis's entirety there. And it's dreadful. I mean, they were terrible at pass defense. They were terrible at run defense. They couldn't run the football at all. I mean, nothing was happening other than giving this young man the ball and just saying, sling it, you know, sling it and carry us. And it just doesn't work. And when people bring up, you know, when percentage and things like that, my reply is always the same and nobody ever answers. They all just run away, including media members that have tried to debate me. Show me another quarterback, especially a young quarterback, but really a quarterback of any age that won games at a high clip in a situation like Jameis's. And that isn't, that isn't just some like subjective opinion or, or, or some emotional response because you can actually look at the data and figure out which quarterbacks were in situations like Jameis. It isn't like just, well, he was in a bad situation. No, the the infographic I put out has the exact NFL ranks of everything, pass defense, rush defense, all of it. Show me another quarterback that was in anything like that sort of situation that wanted a clip. There aren't any. So, I mean, expecting him to win. And I will say, you know, even with his, uh, what is he, I think 28 and 42 uh, career record, that's a higher win percentage than multiple Hall of Fame quarterbacks had through their first 70 starts. Dan Fouts, mm-hmm. Warren Moon, Frank Tarkin, et cetera. I mean, like there are some. So going to the Saints, which I consider a world-class organization with a world-class coach, you know, he has the best running back he's ever had in his life, you know, with, with uh, Alvin Kamara. Um, he has the best wide receiver. I, you know, I've, I've still got a lot of Bucks fans that follow me and like me and stuff, and they'll, they're going to be mad, you know, but Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver Jameis has ever played with. Mike Evans, yes, he's a physical freak. He, Mike Evans, honestly – and even the data will, will bear this out, even though most people won't look at it that deeply. Mike Evans isn't as good of a receiver as Chris Godwin. He's not. Mike Evans is a physical freak, though, and that, that's where his advantage comes. Mike Evans is like the Vince Carter you know, or Tracy McGrady of NFL wide receivers. He's extremely difficult to match up with. Right. But as far as you know, drop percentage and yards after the catch and all of that stuff, Godwin has him beat. And I, I put up you know, uh, infographics like that, and people flip out about him. But Michael Thomas, I mean, you're talking about the only wide receiver in NFL history other than Jerry Rice to win Offensive Player of the Year. Wide receivers just don't win that award, and he's got one. So Thomas, in a way, his his uh, his all-time legacy is like sort of already secure, and and I'm excited to see what Jameis can do with him. I will say, you know, Jameis loves the the long ball, and I think Peyton will will want to utilize that. So I think you know Traquan and uh, Deontay Harris, one of those guys, if not both. Um, could really come into play. You know, I, I don't think I don't think Michael's going to get the, the same amount of catches with Jameis that he got with Drew, because I think Jameis is going to spread it around a little bit more. Um, but I'm just I'm excited to see I'm excited to see how Peyton utilizes them, and I'm really hoping and praying that that Sean doesn't do what every other coach did. He doesn't just look at Jameis and say, "Wow, the arm yeah. talent! Wow, let's just throw 45 times a game." I'm hoping he sticks sort of to to the plan and lets Jameis kind of play the way Drew played. Cause I think Jameis can thrive like that. Yeah. Um, look, I think that this is a perfect situation that he's in 
because one thing that Sean Payton does is, you know, any quarterback that he has, he he utilizes their strengths and then he starts to implement uh, things around their strengths. So I, I just feel like the way that, you know, Sean Payton calls plays, you know, he, he schemes guys open, you know, instead of like just, you know, asking, you know, a quarterback to go out there and just sling it down the field, he schemes guys open. So as long as Jameis can, you know, get that ball where it needs to be, I mean, guys are going to be wide open. That's just the way Sean Payton runs his, runs his offense. I mean, he's always been that way. And I, I think that, you know, you go to the Saints of the past before Drew Brees went into the twilight of his career. I mean, they used to spread the ball around uh, quite a bit. So I, I'm just like you, I'm, I'm excited to see what Jameis can do uh, in a Saints uh, uniform. But let, let's go back to uh, Tampa, okay? Because, I mean, I, I do have some uh, individuals that subscribe to the channel that are Buccaneers fans, and they'll say things like, well, you know, if Jameis was all that, why is it that when as soon as he left, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl? I mean, for those individuals, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I wrote an article, a pretty long-form article uh, for Sports Illustrated, um, the same site that was published, and it talks about that. You know, did Brady win with the same team Jameis did? And that one, that article is filled with a lot of stats that I don't have right off the top of my head. But, mm. um, I mean, basically, if you if you do just look at it, like on a name-by-name basis, player-by-player basis, um, you know, they switched out their right tackle. And you're talking about a guy, DeMar Dotson, he was kind of beloved in the locker room, a good dude. He couldn't run block to save his life. And even Bruce, <laughs> like, even like, that's not just my opinion. Even Bruce Arians talked about that. Like they would, they would specifically not even run the ball towards the side because he couldn't run block. Wow. Um, and so they brought in Tristan Wirfs, who was a revelation. I mean, PFF loves him, of course. I mean, he, he might be one of the top offensive linemen already in football as a rookie. Uh, he was fantastic. That's a right. huge change. They replaced guys like Dare Agun Bowale. At, at running back for Jameis and Rojo, who just sat the bench with right. a souped up Rojo, you know, for Brady and Leonard Fournette. Yeah. So the run game was totally different. Um, wide receiver wise, you know, Jameis, yeah, he had Evans and Godwin, although a lot of people forget one Jameis played on a torn meniscus, basically the whole season in 2019. He also played with a broken hand for wow. a throwing a broken throwing hand wow. for a, quarter, a quarter of that season. And during those games, Mike Evans, was out the end of the year he, he missed I believe the last three and a half games and Godwin was out the last two games mm-hmm. so you know Brady had Godwin Evans Gronk comes in as both a you know a good run blocking tight end and as a pass threat and Antonio Brown so on top of that they they added Antoine Winfield who was a revelation as, as a safety uh, rookie so the team wasn't remotely the same really as far as you know their their key pieces and then when you look at the data and the stats and you know how it affected things um I put out an infographic comparing Jameis's 2019 season and Brady's 2020 and not even bragging, just, just being honest. It's the best infographic in existence comparing those two seasons. When you see, you know, talking head segments on ESPN and and Fox and things like that, and they compare players, they usually use two or three stats. They're generally speaking, counting stats and anybody can find in two seconds. It's just lazy research, lazy analysis, and they're just goofy stats. So the one that I put out has about 20 different stats filled with advanced metrics, uh, things that, you know, the media just ignores because probably they don't understand them. Um, And, you know, one of them is simply, you know, team rush yards per game. Brady got 17.7% more team run support than Jameis. He also got 25, uh, Winston received 25% less yards per, uh, 
per attempt as far as run in team run support. Those are huge numbers yeah. that, the, that the media hasn't focused on at all. I mean, a, a quarterback's best friend is a strong running game. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, the Bucks still, they're not going to rank towards the top of the league because they do pass a lot. And Arians likes to do that. The efficiency of their run game and the, the percentages of their yards per carry and even their yards per game um, was drastically different, you know, for Brady as compared to Winston. Yeah. So I, I'd encourage anybody to look at that infographic. I, I've put it out, you know, quite a, quite a few times. Um, but so no, Tommy did not win with Jameis's team. You know, he, he won sort of with a, a souped up super team, you know, and that isn't even a, a slight on Brady. That's actually to his credit. I, I look at Brady the way I look at LeBron. I think he's an amazing team builder. I think yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that the Bucks got when they replaced Jameis with Brady is they got a guy who was going to bring people with him. And he brought Antonio Brown, a future Hall of Famer, Rob Gronkowski, a future Hall of Famer, Fournette signed up for it, you know, and the team went all in and, and helped the offensive line in the run game. So, and that is to Brady's credit. You know, a lot of people think, because, you know, I like Jameis or I wrote the book on Jameis, I hate Brady. I've loved Brady way longer than I've loved Jameis. I mean, I was, I was, you know, Michigan. When when Tom Brady was a Michigan Wolverine, I was rooting for him and pulling for him. And I followed his whole career. So I've got nothing but love and respect for Tom Brady. And um, and seeing him win, it was cool. You know, I was cheering when Devin White got the pick on Mahomes. So I don't have any hatred at all, you know, for Tom Brady or or even the Bucks. Um but the narrative that Brady won with Jameis's team is ridiculous, you know, and all the stats bear that out. And I would say, I just put a tweet out today, um, you know, for Saints fans that I'm hoping, you know, Saints fans are more logical than Bucks fans. And I'm hoping that the media will be a little more fair uh, with Jameis as a Saint than they were as a Buck, because, you know, the Saints now they've lost a starting wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, tight end, Jared Cook, cornerback, Janoris Jenkins, Linebacker, you could even say two with Anzalone and Quan. Uh, defensive tackle, Malcolm Brown, and now Yamada suspended for six games. And their punter, all just from last year's squad. So I'm, I'm expecting the media to be, you know, if Jameis, even if, he, even if he puts up good numbers, if the Saints record isn't as good as last year, I'm expecting them to say, see, he couldn't win with Drew's team. It's not the same team. You're talking about eight starters are going to be different. So it's yeah. not the same team. Yeah. But I, I think the the media down uh, in New Orleans they're a little bit more patient than like the some of the uh, media members out there. You know they they have a level of understanding, but you do have those uh those individuals like like you uh, mentioned, you know that are victims of uh, media bias and and that warps their opinion about Jameis Winston. You know some of the things that they hear, you know, and, and it, it being amplified, and all of a sudden you're hearing that at 11 o'clock then you're hearing it on a two o'clock show then you're hearing it at the five o'clock sports center and eventually it gets crammed into your head and goes into your subconscious and you begin to develop uh this these thoughts and these feelings about a guy and and honestly you didn't even come to that conclusion yourself it's just constantly being fed to you it's almost like a song that you're not sure that you like right but you play it on the radio over and over again eventually you'll probably keep it on the dial a little bit longer or find a, a reason why you like the song uh, but we're going to go ahead and go to uh, some of the, the questions that you have. We're going to start with uh, Jerry Poor. Jerry says uh, he wants to know, uh, do you feel that uh, Jameis will be quarterback number one in 2021, 2022? His answer is yes. Uh, what do you think? I think I knew the answer to this, but let's just answer Jerry's question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that that's the plan. And, um, you know, if, if people have been following me for a while, you know, I, I did a lot of interviews on Barstool and things like that and, and put right. out a lot of tweets. And people would ask me, I actually did an interview with Barstool 
Um, I want to say it was probably four or five days before Taysom was named the starter when Drew went down. And I basically spelled it all out that that was going to happen in advance without saying it so much. And then, you know, Taysom was named the starter. And uh, I believe it was their producer, uh, Stephen Che. He kind of came at me and he was like, ha ha, you know, you thought Jameis was going to start. And I was like, bro, go listen to the interview. I told you guys what was going to happen before you happened. You just didn't follow the breadcrumbs. And so, you know, Sean Payton was very honest with Jameis, very upfront with Jameis. And I think that um, I I think Sean deserves nothing but respect because Jameis came from a situation in Tampa where uh, the exact opposite happened. The the GM allowed him to take bullets for the organization that he really shouldn't have taken. Uh, Jameis is a yes coach kind of kid. So he, he took some bullets for, for light that he shouldn't have. There was something that happened before the London game uh, specifically. And that that's, you know, some people would say is one of Jameis's worst games of his career. There was something that happened before that game um, that Jason Light probably should have made aware to the media, uh, and he didn't. J- Jason knows me. Jason, you know, came on the, the Barstool interview that I was on uh, to sort of prove to the world that he and I weren't the same person because a lot of people thought I was the Bucks jam. Um, so Jason knows me. He, he used to like me. Uh, now he's got me blocked because he knows where I know. Uh, I know where all the bodies are buried in Tampa. And there's a lot of things that he let go on that shouldn't have happened. There's a lot of bullets he let Jameis take that he should have taken. But he, he let Jameis take him to preserve his own job security. Um, wait, wait, uh, there, wait, let me ask you this. Would you, would you care to share what, what the situation was uh, leading to London that, that, that caused him to have one of the worst games of his career? That's the one I can't talk about, um, and I've specifically been asked not to talk about by Jameis's family. And um, okay, so okay, fair enough. Yeah, and, and and like you know, Light knows the issue as well. Um, and then with Arians, you know, Bruce is a good coach. Um, he he is a good coach, and I, I've even said after the Super Bowl, I said you know Bruce has a Hall of Fame resume now. Uh, you can't really argue with that. He's a two-time coach of the year, and he's got a ring as a head coach. He's got multiple rings as an assistant. So I don't have any hatred for Arians, and I'm and I'm very logical in the way that I speak about him. Um, but he's also a diva and a snake, and he lied to Jameis. He he slandered and he slandered Jameis throughout the coaches' meetings. And I have that from you know direct people who are in the coaches' meetings at ESPN that have talked with me. Bruce just went around slandering Jameis and telling coaches to stay away from him because in the Bucks' mind, if Brady wasn't going to be a Buck, they wanted Jameis back. They had that contract ready for him, and they did not want any other team making an offer. The Raiders were one team that wanted in on Jameis but thought for sure he was going to be a Buck. They signed Mariota early. They didn't think Jameis was going to hit the market. By the time Jameis hit the market, the Raiders were off the board because they had already signed Mariota and they had Carr. Um, so Jameis was done dirty in Tampa. I mean, he, wow. he really was. And Bruce Arians still deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as a coach, but as a human being, yeah, I'm not all that high on him. So <laughs> Sean Payton, on the on the on the other hand, has been nothing but honest and upfront. Um, Jameis knew the situation going in. He knew that Taysom had been promised the ability to start if Drew went down. So when Taysom was announced the starter, that, that didn't affect Jameis at all. It didn't bother him at all. And if you go back and read my tweets, then I wasn't upset in the least. I mean, I knew that was happening, and it was it was perfectly cool with me. Um, going into this season, though, is an entirely different ballgame. I do believe that Sean is planning to, you know, unleash Jameis, that it is sort of a, a Mahomes-Alex Smith-type situation where Andy Reid had Mahomes sitting on the bench, and everybody knew he had the bigger arm. He was more talented. But Alex was doing his thing. He was very efficient. 
you know, right. a great, great, great game manager. But that next year, Andy unleashed Mahomes on the league. So I do think that's what Peyton's planning. Now, anything could happen. I mean, injuries could happen, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, Taysom could come out there and just be entirely different. You know, I mean, he could he could have have completely uh, improved on everything. I mean, I don't know and if if he does more power to him, you know, if he deserves to, to win it out and he's been become great. Great. Um, but if it's, you know, the Taysom from last year who statistically I compared with Tebow and it, there really was a good comparison there. Uh, people, <laughs> didn't, people didn't like it, but I wasn't really insulting him. It's just there was a good, good comparison there. Um, so if Taysom's the same guy that he's been, you know, at BYU and, and to the Saints so far, um, and then you've got Jameis who has Hall of Fame talent. You know, wh- yeah. whatever you want to say about him, he has Hall of Fame talent. And nobody that knows football would disagree with that. Yeah. So, and I also yeah. and I also think that Taysom is an amazing Swiss Army knife dude. Like, yeah. I, in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, having Jameis and Taysom on the field at the same time will cause defensive coordinators nightmares because Taysom, Taysom's awesome. And I yeah. don't, I don't yeah. view him as a, as, a, as a pure quarterback, but he's an awesome football player. And yeah. I would love to yeah. see them on the field at the same time. You put them in the red zone with Jameis at quarterback, Taysom behind them, Alvin out there. I mean, like, how do you defend that? I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. You know, I, I think that uh, Sean Payton is salivating at this at this moment right now. You know, like all of the endless possibilities he have between these two guys. But I, I definitely feel like uh, Jameis is going to be the number one uh, quarterback uh, come week one. Uh, on a Go to John. John says he would like to know about the crab leg incident. Uh, did the media blow that out of proportion? Did it really even happen the way they said it did? Uh, you care to share about that? Sure, sure. Um, I have a chapter in the book called Troubles in Tallahassee, and it just deals with every single incident, um, you know, sort of that the media covered, and it's loaded with citations and, I mean, just everything. Um, as far as the crab leg incident, I would just encourage anyone to actually go watch the security footage. Like nobody shows it. The media always talks about Jameis stole crab legs. Nobody ever shows the footage. You can go online. I believe it's still there. I have it linked in my, in my book. Um, You can go online and watch the security footage. It's like Jameis clearly walks up an employee puts the seafood tray on the thing for him. Hmm. Jameis picks it up, takes it, holds it out in full view of himself slowly meanders throughout the store, even backtracks to look down another shelf for things and slowly walks out the door with it in full view. Mm. Like what criminal does that? Who, who's stealing an item does that? Like there's no attempt at concealing it. There, there was no, you know, taking it from something. The, the employee put it there for him. Um, and then when Jameis gave the interview with Jim Harbaugh leading up to the draft, you know, Harbaugh asked him about that. And Jameis said, Hey man, what do you want me to do? You want me to throw my friend under the bus? I took responsibility. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim kind of pressed him on it. And Jameis said, yeah, it was a hookup. You know, I, I got a hookup from an employee, but I'm not going to throw the guy under the bus. And Jameis's whole history, you know, kind of points to that. You, you watch his interviews. I, I've pretty much watched all Jameis's interviews, you know, throughout his career. And he never throws a teammate under the bus. He never throws a coach under the bus. I remember him after, you know, some, some terrible games saying Dirk Cutter was a genius. I mean, really? <laughs> Dirk Cutter doesn't belong in the NFL. He was not a genius. But Jameis is, oh, my coach is a genius. I remember another game where uh, the center, Ryan Jensen, and I, I love Ryan's dad. You know, I, I, I get along with him really well. So I'm not trying to be mean to Ryan. But 
you know, Ryan snapped the ball at Jameis's face when Jameis wasn't even looking. And at, at the end of the, the game at the post-game press conference, the media asked him about it. And Jameis always oh, a perfect snap, perfect snap, totally on me. <laughs> you know, and there's just a lot of stuff like that where, where Jameis is that prototypical quarterback. His dad raised him the right way. You know, Jameis takes responsibility for things that really have nothing to do with him. You know, he'll he just does that. So the what he told the Harbaugh matches up with what you see on the security footage is that he got a hookup and then he just took responsibility for it. So the employee wouldn't get fired or blamed. Um, you know, and I, and I've said that to people and some people will concede, uh, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. But still a hookup is, is stealing. And I said, no, it isn't the hookup. The responsibility of the hookup is on the employee. If my daughter works at McDonald's and tells her friends, when you come in, you know, I'll give you a free ice cream. It's on my daughter to then reimburse the business for the ice cream, not the friend. The yeah, friend is yeah. taking it on the advice of the employee. So, you know, in any situation, I just, I don't see it was an issue, but the media of course blew it up as a huge issue and it's never died. <laughs> you know, the memes and the jokes are still out there. It never goes away. And you were, you were dead on when you, when you brought up the media and how things are. Um, I mean, a Malcolm X quote that I love is the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. And once you get something in your head, it just becomes part of what you think, whether you want to or not, it just does. And so I see it so often where I'll put stats out there or I'll put facts out there or truth out there, even this, even the security video and the cognitive dissonance people have when it comes to Jameis is insane. I mean, they, they literally can't handle this new truthful information because it conflicts with the false information they believe is true. And they just have meltdowns and freak out and, it's wild. It's yeah. wild. I mean, if anybody, if anybody just wondering or, or saying, ah, nah, this isn't true. I mean, just take a look a couple of days ago with the situation uh, with Richard Sherman, right? You know, like just the way that they actually set that situation up. First, they said that, you know, they, the police were looking for him for a hit and run. Now, when you think about hit and run, what's the first thing you think about? You think about a person like in a car running somebody over and leaving and fleeing the scene, right? But what happened was he actually hit a guardrail and left, the, you know what I'm saying, and, and left. You know what I'm saying? So it's it, it just stuff like that. So if you, let's just say, for example, you did not, like, read the article, you would be telling your friends, man, Richard Sherman hit somebody. He, he left, a, you know what I'm saying? He, it was a hit and run. Like, it's it just the way that they actually spent things to, like, create the narrative. And I, I do feel like, there's a lot of individuals out there that they, they focus on maybe because those individuals are polarizing or they feel like, you know, like they, they create ratings, you know, you know, by just talking about them or just looking at them in a negative light. Cause maybe, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I do feel like there's a bias and that, that's something that I try to pride myself not to be, you know, I I'd rather just be, you know, individual that try to give it to you straight instead of just, you know, trying to create this narrative. It is what it is, but I don't feel like they need to create this, you know, this, this bias towards individuals in order for you to, like, care about them. I think that his game should speak for itself. I think that his skill set should speak for itself. And hopefully, now that he's in New Orleans, uh, you know, people will give him a fair shake. But let, let's go to Derek. Derek says, to, uh, salute to you, Jameis 101. You're a real one to stand up to the media for what's right. And calling the haters out on the BS. Uh, Jameis was put in a no-win situation, set up for failure in Tampa Bay. 
Nothing but respect for you, TJ. You're a real one also. Read a few more of these comments, and then I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Just read uh, maybe like two. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ryan says, do you think Jameis Winston could be another Bo Jackson playing two-sport football and baseball? Well, you know, he did have a really good career as a baseball player. Um, and also he's really good at, at, at football. Do you do you uh remember at any time Jameis Winston considering playing two sports or maybe baseball more so than football? I, I mean, I, I know he'd love to. You know, <laughs> I mean he, he loves baseball. I know he'd love to do it. Um I I mean I don't personally think it, it'll happen. Um but he, he is good enough. I mean, like he was drafted into into uh, major league baseball. He probably would have been drafted even a lot higher, you know, had he not played football. Um, and he was always split in time. A lot of people don't realize that. I mean, he he never was able to, you know, just dedicate himself to being a quarterback until he got into the NFL. He was always split in time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's possible if he were to, to, I don't know, if, he, if it was a Warren Moon situation where the NFL just kind of like <laughs> shoves him off to Canada, I could definitely <laughs> see him playing Major League Baseball. But, but hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I I think that he's going to have a solid season, a solid career for the New Orleans Saints. I think he's going to be a really good uh, talent. And the final question is, you know, this is something that, you know, that a lot of people probably are wondering, you know, like they're wondering to themselves, you know, why is he taking up for Jameis Winston? Like what's in it for him? Like, you know, are you in any way, you know, affiliated with the family? Did the family put you up to, you know, counter be the, you know, what I'm saying to like counteract the media when it comes to Jameis Winston? Like, you know, feel free to answer that question. Did, did the did the family of Jameis Winston put you up uh, to any of the things that you're doing and books you're writing about Jameis Winston? Okay, sure. Now that's actually a, a, a sort of a fascinating uh, story. So, I had never met, talked with, or anything anybody connected to Jameis at all when I decided to write the book, never. Um, he simply was just a fascinating quarterback. And, you know, it's not like I only defend him with, with data and, and sort of truth against false narratives. I've done that with Matthew Stafford, for example, uh, actually going all the way back to Georgia. Like I, I've been sort of a Matthew Stafford defender for a long time. Uh, and I still am. I defended Matt Ryan for a Super Bowl performance, you know, just based on data. And that's not an easy thing to do because people, <laughs> people think he choked it away. Um, so Jameis was just fascinating to the point where I did a lot of research on him um, and I had fun sort of interacting with the media and fans about him. And it just kind of snowballed into a book. I had so much information that one day I was just writing an article for a, for a little indie uh, media outlet in Tampa. And as I'm writing the article, I'm looking at all the data I have and stuff. And I'm like, this could just be a book. I mean, you know, yeah, five, six page articles, fine, but I could easily write a book out of this and it's fun for me. So that's really when when I started doing it um, right. with absolutely no connection whatsoever to to anybody in Jameis's camp. Once I wrote the book and it kind of, you know, it started getting some press and some people started talking about it, even before it came out. Some people kind of got nervous about it coming out. People in the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers organization um, and actually two of Jameis's agents got a hold of me and they were nervous because they figured it would be a hit piece. You know, and um, because everything really to date that had been written about Jameis, it was always sort of a hit piece. And he had even given interviews where, you know, they would tell the family, oh, you know, this is going to be a really nice look at Jameis. And it would turn out to be a hit piece. And so his agents were worried that, you know, here's this anonymous author that they don't know who I am and I'm going to write a hit piece. 
And so they contacted me and, you know, I assured them it wasn't a hit piece. It was data driven. You know, it isn't, it's, it's just going to be what it is. I mean, like, you're not really going to be able to argue with it because it's irrefutable. Um, mm-hmm. There might be some sections that you don't like, but I really don't care. I'm going to write what I want to write. Um, <laughs> one of his, you know, when I say agents, he has a lot of them. So it's not just a football agent, you know, but one of his agents actually, <laughs> actually did not really get along with me at all. Kind of threatened me. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that that person uh, is no longer employed, but um, you know, so yeah, my thing was that, you know, I was going to do what I wanted to do. I was going to write what I wanted to write. Um, and then we'll see what happens. Now, after the book was published, or actually just leading up to it, uh, I was put in contact with his trainer, Otis Leverett, um, who's, you know, been a, a trainer and mentor for Jameis, you know, going all the way back, you know, way before college. Right. Um, you know, and I spoke with him and he he's a fantastic guy. His wife's fantastic. I mean, that, that whole family's great. Um, you know, and he wrote the foreword for the book. You know, and in it, he kind of uh, he kind of talks about like a, a John the Baptist and Jesus situation. It's it's a very cool forward, um, <laughs> and, and like it really is. I'd encourage anybody to read the forward because it, it's fantastic. And Otis is an awesome guy. Um, so I had that connection, and then it really wasn't until after the book came out and was published where I sort of, you know, kind of was put in contact with like his dad, for example. Um, and so now, yeah, I have a great relationship with his with his family and all that. But I definitely didn't write the book like with them telling me to. I mean, they had zero, you know, influence whatsoever on what I wrote, and still have zero influence whatsoever. Um, and I think you have, t- you, you know, you've told me you've talked to James's dad, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and you can ask him directly. I mean, he'll tell you. Nobody tells me what to write, you know, and nobody tells me what to say. And um, now he may agree with every single thing I write and say, because it's all the truth anyways, <laughs> you know, and, and I do. I mean, I love Jameis' dad. I think he's amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not on the payroll, you know, nothing like that. Um, a lot of people thought I was on the Bucks payroll, um, you know, and I know some people inside the organization and all that, but no, I was never on their payroll either. Um, people thought I was, you know, the Bucks GM Jason Light because it, like defending his pick of Jameis. But it was never anything like that. I'm I'm actually an Orthodox Christian theologian. Uh, most of my writing is is theological. Um, I also do a lot of you know other writing and stuff. But I just like studying quarterbacks. And you know the book, even if you're not even a Jameis Winston fan, like the book is fascinating because it looks at all the hall the Super Bowl era Hall of Fame quarterbacks and compares them with each other. So even if you don't, even if you're not a Winston fan, like you can compare Ken Stabler on an era adjusted basis with Terry Bradshaw and Terry Bradshaw with Dan Marino and stuff like that. So it's just kind of a fascinating look at the history of Super Bowl era Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, and Jameis just happened to be a, a, an awesome character study. And so, you know, the fellows at uh, Ralph, Ralph Marlboro and uh, Andrew Juge, you know, they, they say, well, you love Jameis more than Jameis's family loves Jameis. <laughs> and, I, and I said, no, I mean, you know, as a Christian, like I love everybody and I, I defend a lot of different quarterbacks and stuff with, with truth. So, yeah, of course, I love Jameis, but I love everybody. And the truth and the and the data just speaks for itself. And it it counteracts the false narratives that the media puts out. Um, you know, when you were talking about the Richard Sherman thing, it, it's very true. Um, you know, Tupac is, is that's like my guy. You know, I consider him the GOAT, you know, as, as far as rap goes. You know, and he, just, he has that famous and I use the meme a lot. He has that famous one where, where he's sitting there and in front of uh i think he he may even be in a in a prison i'm not really sure but he's sitting there and he just says trust nobody and that's kind of the way i look at it i i don't trust the media at all 
Like if the media is saying it, I'm automatically leery of it. And I want to look into what they're saying and why they're saying it. And when you look at Jameis, it, it makes no sense that all of a sudden overnight, all the media would just decide, okay, he's a bad guy. He's this, he's that. Let's just start crushing him in all segments. Let's even crush him based on his play and based on starting the COVID hotline, blah, blah, blah. That makes no sense. Like that's an orchestrated effort. To just, yeah, it's a hitch up. It's an orchestrated effort to just destroy a kid. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And then you see some media would stand up for Jameis and then they'd never be invited back. Like you'll notice when they do segments on certain players, they'll always bring in the same guys. And it's because yep. those guys will have a connection to them and, and stuff like that. Well, they did a segment on ESPN and I want to say this was in 2016, but it, 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 I might be off on that. But Tampa, there was a hurricane that had gone through Tampa. And Bucks players were freaked out. And the Bucks owners, the Glazers, offered to just fly Jameis and his family out on their, their private jet. And Jameis said, no, I'm not going until you fly out the whole team. I want all the teammate and their families flown out too. And Mark Schlereth brought that up on a, on a uh, segment about Jameis and his leadership. And, you know, the other panelists were kind of bashing Jameis. And Schlereth brought that up. And I was like, okay, this is great. Hopefully they'll bring him back. Now, I have never seen them ever have Schlereth on again when they do a segment on Jameis <laughs> and, and I have had, you know, ESPN employees, they know what's going on and they know what has happened with Jameis in the media. And they've told me, you know, we're not going to say anything. We're not rocking the boat. I mean, they, they get a paycheck, you know? So I would just encourage everybody never trust the media. I'll, always, you know, look into what's being said, always check the data. You've got guys, some guys in the media will just flat out lie look straight into the camera and lie to their audience because they're, they know their audience won't fact check them. You know, Max Kellerman is one of these dudes. Max Kellerman is extremely intelligent. He can debate at a high level. Most guys in the media, they, they can't even debate. Like they lose to a, to a ninth grade debate team. They don't know how to debate. All they know how to do is give opinions and, and sort of, you know, speak emotionally. Right. But Max <laughs> Kellerman can actually debate. Um, and yet he relies basically on the fact that his, his audience won't fact check him to just spew lies. And he'll go out there. He, he's talked about Jameis recidivist behavior. You know, he'll, he'll use some words like that and just think, well, nobody will check it out. Okay. Max Kellerman's the guy who was suspended by ESPN for slapping his fiance. Wow. And wow. Jameis Winston has never even been arrested in his entire life, let alone convicted of a crime. So what recidivist behavior is Max talking about when the kid's never been arrested, never been convicted of anything? There isn't any. You know, and Max is another guy. He'll he'll go out there and he'll he'll praise a guy like Dak. And I'm not killing Dak. You know, I, I hope all the best for Dak Prescott. But he'll praise right. Dak and he'll say that the best way to to judge a young quarterback and to know whether you should praise them or not and is to look at what they do on third downs and in the red zone because those are the highest leverage moments. Like this this is all Max's talking points. Right. And then right. Max will turn around and call Jameis Winston both the most overrated quarterback in the NFL and one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. That in and of itself is illogical and doesn't make any sense. But Max will say that knowing full well, Jameis Winston is the third down God of the NFL since entering. And this is not an emotional statement. I, I put the, the data out since entering the NFL as a 21 year old kid on the worst team in football. He ranks number one out of everybody in third down conversion rate out of everybody. The only guy that you, that you could put ahead of him is Mahomes, And that's only if you lower the sample size really low, because Patrick hasn't had as many snaps. But Jameis is number one. And then when you look at the red zone, Jameis has a better career touchdown to interception ratio 
than Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, like almost anybody in the red zone. And these are where decision-making is at its paramount. These are the highest leverage moments, third downs in the red zone. So if Jameis is a third down and red zone god, how does the narrative fly that he's some dumb quarterback and bad at decision-making? It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So uh, another like quote that I use, and I use it in my book, and I've used it a lot of times. I ha- I've had media block me just over using it. But it's a, it's a quote from United States President Harry Truman, and it says, quote, We have men in this day and age who are prostitutes of the mind. They sell their ability to write articles for sale, which will be so worded as to mislead people who read them. Skillful, skillful purveyors of character assassination. And that's the media in a nutshell. That's mainstream sports media, just like mainstream political media. They're all just spinning narratives and selling stories, and they don't care about the truth. Yeah, because <laughs> they know that people have uh, invested time in them, and they want to believe everything that they say. You know, and it, and that's why I always say, you know, when, when you, once you reach a certain level, you really find out who a person and what a person is really made of, who who they are and what they're really made of, because it is powerful, right? Like when you have, you have put yourself out there and people have, you know, they follow you and they listen to you. And there's a responsibility when it comes to that. Like you can't just be out here, like just giving people nonsense. You know, some people will do that because they feel like regardless of what they do, people are going to follow them. But the ones that I have a lot of respect for and I admire is the people that understand that they do have individuals that follow them, but they want to take it upon themselves and they look at it as a responsibility to give those people exactly uh, what they need. You know, that's why, you know, one person I look uh, up to is, is Dan Rather. Um, I'm a little bit of historian, uh, Walter Cronkite, individuals that I've seen, you know, that are willing to put themselves out there. And, it, and sometimes, you know, the people behind the scenes don't like what they said, but they felt like the public needed to know because they had a responsibility. Those are the people that I have a lot of respect for. Not so much about the individuals that you're referring to there, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, put the book up here. Jameis Winston derangement syndrome, how media bias caused us to overlook the start of a hall of fame career. Jameis one-on-one. We definitely got to get you back on the show. Uh, maybe like a little bit when the season starts, uh, to talk a little bit more about Jameis Winston and, and, and his progress. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for answering some of the questions from the Who That Nation. And, uh, you know, look forward to hearing from you on Twitter as well as, uh, you know, on some of these other shows. Keep keep uh, keep keep uh, exposing these people, man, because uh, they, they need to be exposed, my friend. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll look forward to it. Do you mind if I say one thing real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And also, okay. also, uh, your, your, uh, your Twitter. I forgot to mention it. Yeah, make sure you plug your Twitter and stuff like that also. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, for my Twitter, it's just at Jameis101. Um, yeah, I mean, probably three, four days a week, I get into it with some media member or some some fan, you know, and have a, have a good debate. Uh, today, it was Sam Monson from PFF. Uh, he, he tweeted some nonsense out about about Jameis and, and I kind of snowballed him with some, some data and, and hit him with some facts. And he just, he quickly said, well, uh, I'm not going to respond to you. You you called me goober <laughs> and ran away. And I said, bro, I've had people come at my wife, my children, I get some of the nastiest DMS ever. And, and, and I have no problem just talking to everybody and debating with people. So yeah, you want to run away. Cause I use the word goober, which is just funny, <laughs> you know, go for it. But, and, um, and I also got to say, bravo. Uh, yeah, and you all have to like if if you're on Twitter, please follow him, Jameis one on one. That barstool interview, like when you were like complete throwing these analytics out, 
Like, they really did not know what to do. The guy was like, oh, this guy has too much time on his hand. Like, when people start saying stuff like that, you automatically know, like, they they, they just full of crap, to be honest with you, because they really don't have anything to say. You know, it seems like they were prepared to talk about Jameis Winston's not that good. And then when you start throwing facts at him, they tried to discredit you and made it seem like, oh, he's just a nerd. But listen to what he's saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I want to say bravo for that interview because you uh, really, uh, uh, you really kind of, you know, destroyed them on that one. <laughs> yeah. I have fun doing it. I have fun doing it. You know, and I've, I've made some good friends now with some of the guys at Barstool, but you're right. I mean, they were all anti Jameis yeah. when I came on there. I mean, they hated him. And, and now, you know, quite a few of them like them and, and they'll, they'll back them. Although, you know, they're comedians too. So they'll, they'll get a little weird. Yeah. Um, but I did another interview in, in Tampa where I, and I didn't know these people. Like I'm, I don't even live in the States. I wasn't born in the States. I don't live in the States. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know a lot of the, you know, localized media. Um, and I had a producer get a hold of me from a, a radio show in Tampa. And he said, Oh, you know, we're huge Jameis fans and we love your book. We want to get you on. And I was like, okay, cool. I get on. The producer and the host both hate Jameis. Hate him. They didn't want. They told me they wanted to talk stats in my book. They didn't want to talk either one of those. All they wanted to talk about were incidents at FSU. And I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like this is an ambush. Um, but that's one of the first interviews I ever did, and like I completely shut them down <laughs> because you know, yeah, I had my book next to me. I had all the citations. I hit them with you know actual court documents, stats, like everything, and they just they just sat kind of silent. And at the end, they were like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of changed our minds. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I have fun with it. And, and on Twitter, yeah, I get into a lot of like really fun ones. I, I had a, a back and forth with Bruce Arian's son and, um, and he flipped out, you know, he started swearing at me and got all mad. And then his wife jumped in and, you know, it, it was fun, but I try to always handle myself really well. Um, yep. the one thing I was going to say here is I see a comment on the side, Tylenol Jones, uh, mm-hmm. 503 PM says, Jameis is generally one of my heroes as a young Christian, such an incredible role model. Um, I will say, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I, I'm very controversial. You know, uh, a lot of the media can't stand me. Um, but you can search, you know, I got like 50,000 tweets. I never curse at anybody. You know, I try, try to handle myself the right way. I have fun clowning clowns, and I don't mind calling people goober, you know, illogical stuff like that. Right. Um, but I, I try to handle myself well. And, you know, even as a, an Orthodox Christian theologian, like Jameis Winston himself and the way he carries himself, it actually really impresses me. I don't think that I don't think I would have um, I don't think I'd have the character to handle the media the way he does. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at, you know, we were talking about Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman, you know, crushes Jameis just routinely as if he's paid specifically to do that. Um, and Jameis treats all these media with kindness. Like he really does. I mean, like he's, he was good to all the media in Tampa, even though he knew they had hit pieces written about him and, and just waiting to publish. And even though he knew they were lying to his family, bubble, all this stuff, Max Kellerman did one semi, you know, negative segment on Derek Carr and Derek Carr is known as like a, a good young Christian man too, family man. Right. Derek Carr right. lost his mind and wanted to fight Max Kellerman. Derek Carr <laughs> flipped out, you know, Baker Mayfield flipped out on Colin Coward. None of these quarterbacks in the NFL get put through what Jameis does. None of them. And yet Jameis just treats everybody with, with kindness and love. He's always smiling. He's always positive. Like, it's pretty inspiring. It really is. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I just hope Saints fans can get behind him, you know, and, and can stay behind him and actually, you know, root for the kid, pray for the kid, hope the best for the kid. Because he, he uses his money the right way. He uses his time the right way. 
He gives back to the community. He's a good kid. He really is. And I, and I hope everybody can get behind him in, in New Orleans because he never really got that support in Tampa. Yeah. The day he was drafted, you know, the his own local media, Tampa Bay Times, wrote an article, something like, want him or not, now you're stuck with him. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. You know, and they were always just ready to, to rip on him. And, and they wanted to run him out of town, you know, from the day he got drafted. So I really hope mm-hmm. that um, that Nolens is is uh, backs him and, and smart enough. You know, they got a coach that people hate on. People hate on Sean Payton, but New Orleans backs him and they should. You know, they got an organization people hate on, but they, they back him and they should. And I, and I hope they look at Jameis that same way. Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely a, a Jameis Winston supporter. I, I know a lot of. Uh, individuals that check out the State of the Saints podcast, you know, they're Jameis Winston supporters. And hopefully after today, those that checked out this podcast are on board and become a Jameis supporter as well. Jameis 101, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. um, And we'll see you down the road. Take care. My my pleasure, brother. Have a great day. All right, you too. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jameis uh, 101. Man, that was a great interview right there. Good stuff. I hope that some of you learned a little bit more about Jameis Winston than you than you may have known. Uh, the book, I'm going to go ahead and put that out here uh, once again. Uh, Jameis Winston, Derangement Syndrome, Our Media Bias Calls Us to Overlook the Start of a Hall of Fame uh, uh, NFL Career. So uh, y'all make sure y'all check it out. Uh, it's, it's available. You can go ahead and Google it to find out how you can get your hands on the book. And let's just give Jameis Winston an opportunity, man. Let's let's give him an opportunity to change the narrative about, you know, what we think about him. If you're on the fence about Jameis Winston, let the let the NFL season play out, all right? Get his man an opportunity. Um, this has been a State of the Saints podcast. I ask everybody to give the show a golden thumbs up if you like to the, the if you like the interview, if you like the show. Uh we'll be back uh later on, hopefully. Um, you know, I'll be able to do another show want to focus a little bit on the David Ayamada situation. Of course, we uh, know that David Ayamada has been suspended for six games. We want to talk a little bit more about that and how what that actually means for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, also, there was an interview that I conducted with the new voice of the New Orleans Saints, Mike Haas, that's available right now. That one came out a little bit earlier today. I sat down a little bit. That was a dream come true. Uh, I felt like a young kid sitting on the floor in my grandmother's den at the age of five, you know, watching. I watched Mike Haas like, like my entire young life and had an opportunity to talk to him about uh, being able to call uh, the Saints games and, and what it actually means to him. So that's available on a YouTube channel as well as on Facebook, on a Facebook page. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com search the state of the Saints podcast, facebook.com search the state of the Saints podcast and previous episodes available on anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And, of course, the State of the Saints podcast is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Go to Manscaped.com for all your male grooming needs. Use the promo code State of Saints. That's State of Saints, and you will save 20% off of your purchase. Thank you all so much. Enjoy your afternoon because we're recording this on the afternoon. Enjoy your morning, noon, and night, wherever you are right now. And like always, all I got to say is, who that?